you've got some skill and you take skill from other people and so on. But when you preach, it's, it's way different. It's 60% Holy Spirit and 40% you, I think. You know, so you can prepare the best there is and you can entertain people. But if, if God isn't there and if God isn't working, then it's empty words. Really empty words. So I really pray this morning that you'd be touched. I, as I was preparing and, and Toinette, uh, who was, they were, Jack and Toinette were our home group leaders. And she's preached quite a few times and she's often said, you know, once you start preparing, God changes sermon four or five times while you're preparing. All right. Now, it might even change this morning while I'm preaching, so hang, hang on with me and let's, let's see where it goes, where the Holy Spirit goes. But what I did was, I initially thought I'd pray on, uh, uh, preach on some other things, and in the end I thought, I've got all these things, what do I call it? What's the theme? Okay, and the best I could come up with is, disciples ready for revival. Are we ready for revival? What are our characteristics? Are we ready? You know, God is ready for revival in George. God is ready for it. Are we ready for it? And so the, some of the nuggets that I'm going to try and share are things that have been shared from this pulpit. Most of it has been shared from the pulpit. And, um, and so it's nothing really new. But, you know, when we look at revival, it's interesting our perspective versus God's perspective. Um, and, and so, and, and the, uh, the perspective of the church, so, so one of the things, we've been involved in many, many church plants, we've never led a church, we've been involved in church plants, we've been in the leadership of churches and things like that, we've been privileged to do that, it's also not easy oftentimes because you go and you assist a church plant, um, the church gets planted, they go on and God says, okay, next church plant. And then you've got to kind of break relationships and go to another church plant. And that's, that's sometimes difficult. So I'm hoping that God is keeping us here for the rest of our lives. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, but, but there's, there's some very interesting thoughts about planting a church. How do you grow a church? How do you grow a church? Now, this is one of the ways in growing a church is for the, for the people who are not here and listening to the audio is having good coffee. <laughs> okay, so it says ways to grow your Sunday school class, just as well as say church. Sorry, I'm just uh, the cosmetics. There we go. All right, so so coffee, more coffee, and better coffee. Wait. You know, when we came to George, um, I'd go back to where I came from. People to ask me, so what is there in George? What do you do? I said, well, there's, there's coffee shops, there's churches, and there are schools, many of them. <laughs> right. uh, so, so that's not a bad thing. That may, means that that town is growing. Okay, so the next one, <laughs> how do you grow a church? Well, you preach the word. Now, some of you might remember a guy called Don Leonard. He was an old actor, radically got born again. He was in drugs and abuse and all kinds of things. Big, big guy. Okay, radically got born again. And we got to know him quite well in the church that we were. And he had this turn or burn theology. You know the turn or burn theology. So Don Leonard, <laughs> very effective. I mean, he was a very effective evangelist. But he would go and stand in Hillbrow in front of a block of flats, knowing no one there. And he'd go and shout, hey, Johnny! And 
people start looking out. Who, who is charity here? Hey, Johnny! And then, you know, more people start looking out the, the, the block of flats. Who's, who's shouting here? And then when enough people start looking out, he'd say, Hey, Johnny, I want to tell you something. God loves you. And all of you looking here, God loves you. <laughs> and you can listen to me. But if you don't turn from your ways, you're going to go to hell. Turn or burn. <laughs> now, this is interesting for me. I found this Grace Baptist Church. Grace. Okay, choose the bread of life for your toast. Uh, I thought that was quite interesting, grace, grace theology. Okay, and then there's some, some other ways of, of building the church, and there's also passive ways of building the church, and I really hope this morning you are not going to go into the passive way of building a church. <laughs> okay. All right, so let, let's get into the word. I think, um, you know, we sang this morning in the first song, don't give up. There's hope. There's always hope. And I think what Trudeau said is so relevant that it's not the end. In fact, for some of you who feel it's the end, it's probably the beginning. Yeah. You know, it's the beginning of God working and doing. So when you are desperate, when things are really bad, that's probably a time when God can come and, and work with you. When, when we look at... Um, yeah, we, we talk about revival, uh, characteristics of the disciples ready for revival, but I don't, I don't think we always know what revival takes from us. I mean, it takes an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So, so if we think about the, the biblical principles, if you, if you think about the New Testament, well, the Bible in general, what's the greatest revival in the Bible that's described in the Bible? Now, I think it's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The time when the Holy Spirit was, was poured out. Uh, and, and what happened was <clears throat> the disciples were together. The land was basically in a mess. If you go and read the time that, that the disciples, Jesus came, um, Jews were oppressed. It was a bit of a mess. It was really a bit of a mess. And, and that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Country being in a mess. I, <laughs> I, was, at a, I was at a conference rubbing shoulders with people like Herman Mashaba and, and, and big businessmen this week. And um, the, the person who organized the conference said, look, we've had enough consciousness where we talk about our problems. Let's talk about the positivities for the next 10 years. And there were literally people who struggled to get something, to get something positive for the next 10 years. They're not all Christians. By the way, Herman Mashaba is a very dedicated Christian interesting to listen to him and his perspectives and, and, and what happens and things like that. Pray for our leaders. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that as well. Anyway, so back to the, to the New Testament. Um, the, it was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in other tongues. Uh, and and the, the multitude stood there and they were absolutely amazed. And Paul was explaining the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. He said, this is not, people aren't drunk. <coughs> early morning, man. This is what Joel spoke about. Now, I thought, okay, well, let's go and see what Joel spoke about. <coughs> so, if you go back and you read uh, Joel 2, this is the prophecy that Joel gave about that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 28, and afterward, I will pour my spirit out on all people. Your sons and your... This is now from Joel, not from, the, from Acts. 
Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and old men will dream dreams, and young men will see visions. And even on my sermons, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. But going back to verse 28, he says, and afterward. Now, after what? After what will God pour out his spirit? Because I think this is a key. This is a key to revival. What must happen before revival comes? Okay, so that's a good question. So let's go and look. And we go earlier in Joel, we go back to verse 12. I don't know what I've got there. Verse 1 to 11 says the land was in a mess. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, good time to have a revival. We are in a perfect time in this country to have a revival. I think we're in a perfect time. So verse 12 to 17, Joel talks about return to the Lord. And I want to read one or two verses. So God is now speaking to the people. He's come to the people. He said, look, the land's in a mess. You're desperate. You're in, in difficult situations. A lot of you are in very difficult situations. You're almost giving up. But this is what I say, says the Lord. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and He relents from sending calamity. Now, isn't this what God is telling us? Are we ready for revival? Are we desperate for revival? Are we turning our hearts to God and saying, Lord, we want revival. And revival starts with me. Revival starts with me turning my heart back to God. You know, the Bible talks often about that first love, and I've thought a lot about that first love. Man, I tell you, when I got born again, I got born again without ever in my life having heard an altar call. Never, ever have I heard an altar call. I, was, I grew up in a church, um, didn't believe in altar call, didn't believe in baptism in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so I don't want to criticize the church because that's where I got born again anyway. But I sat on a Sunday night watching a movie um, called The Cross and the Switchblade. Some of you might have heard about that. God touched my heart. I gave my heart to the Lord and got born again radically from a very selfish um, person, very selfish lifestyle, to sitting in the church, seeing an old lady and thinking, my word, I love this lady. She's fantastic, you know. And I haven't even noticed them before, uh, things like that. Um, um, for me, I was not hungry. I was not ready. God just sovereignly stepped in. But I thought about that many, many times as God talks about return to your first love. Man, I just couldn't believe that people don't understand and do not accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's just such an incredible gift. For me, it was just a radical, life-changing experience. Then I got baptized in the Spirit. God challenged me, uh, and I'll get back to, to getting born again. I got baptized in the Spirit many years after that because I'd never heard about it. I've never heard that there was something like that. Um, and to me, that was even more radical almost. For God challenged me, and I got baptized in the Spirit, to speak to one person a day about the gospel. Now, I've got an evangelistic heart. Some of you might know that. Uh, not, so for 365 days, in fact, it went on a little bit longer than that. 
I, I spoke, I got one person just to speak to and share the gospel to. Sometimes I just went into a parking area, spoke to the parking guard, or, or just walked out and found the first person I, found, I, I could and I spoke to them. Some of them got born again, some didn't. Um, you know, the, the gospel, we had Tersh here speaking about discipleship. To make, to get someone born again and the, to get them discipled are two different things. I mean, it, it's the same working, but it's two different things. That's the first step is getting someone born again. When I got born again, I thought, that's the offer and the moga. Just get people born again. And then afterwards, I realized, no, there's, there's much more to that. In fact, with seven verses, you can tell the, the story of the gospel. And now I've got to go back to my notes and see. So those of you who saw Roger preaching, we're cut from the same cloth. Um, we do similar things. So, seven verses which you can summarize the gospel in, getting people born again. Genesis 1 verse 1, God created the heaven and the earth. And Genesis 1 verse 7, 27, God created you and me in his image because he wanted a personal relationship with us. And if you read the personal relationship he had with Adam and Eve in the beginning, it was absolutely amazing. A close, intimate relationship with God. He still wants that with me and you today. But what did we do? We turned our back on God. Romans 3 verse 23 says, All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we turned our back on God and now we've got guilt. And we're walking away from God. But God loved you so much, John 3.16, and me so much that he made a plan. He gave Jesus Christ on the cross to die for us so that all who have accepted him can have everlasting life. And Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls, turn back. So Romans 3, 23 says we turned away. Now we turn back. In, in Romans 10, 13. John 1, verse 12 says, all who, who received him, those who believed in him, he gave the right to become, become children of God. You can become a child of God. That's, that's the gospel. And then Revelation 3 verse 20 says, Here I am and I'm not standing at the door of your heart and knocking. If you open up the door, I will come in. That's the gospel in seven verses. It takes seven verses to get someone to the Lord. It takes the whole Bible to make a disciple. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And, and I didn't even plan on doing this, but, but whatever the Lord wants to do this morning, he has to do. So, if that touched your heart this morning and you have not given your heart to the Lord, then this is the gospel. God loves you. He's standing at the door of your heart and he's saying, open up and I will come and feast with you and you will become a child of God. And if that's you this morning, similar to Trudeau, come and speak to us afterwards. Come and speak to me afterwards. We'll pray with you. And get back to, back to revival, the revival in the Bible. So, so God says, return to the Lord with all your heart. Praise, worship, fast, and pray. He goes through those verses. God says, pray. Pray for me to come. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the country. The righteous and the unrighteous leaders. Don't just pray for the righteous leaders. Pray for the unrighteous leaders. All right? Pray that their hearts will change. And then what happened, even before the revival came, is God started blessing the people. He gave back what the locusts have stolen. And then revival came. And so, in our day and age, aren't we in the same position? Land is a mess. Country is a mess. 
I mean, if you listen to some of those people, so, so it was a smallish group, so things were shared this week in, in that conference which you wouldn't share with the public. And it's scary to hear some of this stuff. I'm not going to repeat some of this stuff because I don't want to get into politics. Uh, politics, by the way, is important, should be important for Christians as well. We should pray about that. We should support and we should, uh, we should make known what we, what we think God wants. Okay, it's not what the world wants. Anyway, and so we as Christians, the revival starts with us. Revival starts with me spending time with the Lord, getting back to that first love, reaching out to other people there, and returning my heart to the Lord. And, and the Lord then blesses the people, us, and the land. He lets rain fall on righteous and unrighteous, and then revival will come. And so, for me, the first point here is to have revival. Characteristics of a disciple ready for revival is that we are hungry. We are hungry. We are hungry after the more of God, intimacy with God, understanding His power, living out that power. Um, you know, when, when you get to a stage... Let me say this before I say what I wanted to say. God doesn't want to make a fool of us. You know, people think, oh, God wants to make a fool of me. You know, because I've now got to offer up my dignity and go out in the streets and pray for it. God doesn't want to make a fool of us. But when you get to the stage where you don't care whether God makes a fool of you or not, that's when you can move powerfully. You know, when you go and pray for people on the street and they don't get healed, that's not, so what? It's not you. All right? But go out and pray. Um, we went into Hillbrow for four years, a, a, a few years ago. We prayed for many people. Some got healed, some didn't get healed. Some, uh, I saw a guy, we prayed for a guy who got up out of a wheelchair. We, you know, did we have nothing to do with that? Yeah, 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 we prayed. But we didn't heal the guy. All right, God healed the guy. And so when you get to a stage where you don't care, whether God makes a fool of you. God doesn't want to make a fool of you, but you get to a stage where you don't care, that's often time when God uses you. All right. And so, um, to see people born again, healed and set free, are we hungry for that? Are we hungry to see people born again? Whether they deserve it or not, whether you feel they deserve it or not. I tell you, if I listen to some of those things that the people say about the politicians that are ruling the land, I think they don't deserve it. Well, I didn't deserve it either. I was a selfish... No, I'm not going to say the word. <laughs> I didn't deserve it. But God loved me and brought me out of that. And so whether they deserve it or not, we should be hungry to see them born again, come into the kingdom, live out their calling. To see God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's the first point. The second one. When I look at these people over the years and in the Bible where revival has come, they have strong, strong faith. Now, when we talk about faith, we talk about faith many times. And, and, and I remember when I was a young Christian, uh, I went to Rayma. Rayma Corley was at his best, okay? And he'd say, people ask me, when are you going to stop talking about faith? He says, I'll stop talking about faith when you get it. <laughs> All right? 
And so we won't start talking about faith because I don't think we always get it. And, and not that I have all of it, but, uh, you know, in this week, God has <coughs> shown some things. So as far as faith is concerned, for me, there's more than one kind of faith. And we're going to talk about two of those kinds of faith. The first one is faith or specific things. I'm not going to talk too much about that. For faith or specific things will be faith, for, for instance, single events like a healing. I'm praying for healing of a specific disease in myself or someone else. Or faith for a specific business deal or a specific business. Um, or faith for a relationship or breaking free from something, being setting, set free from something. So, so that's faith for specific stuff. And here's, here's some faith for specific stuff, isn't it? These are specific people who we, we're praying for and we're standing in faith for, and, and, and we'll pray for this a little bit later again, yes. Okay. Um, being an evangelist, <coughs> talking about prayer, and we'll get back to prayer. Being an evangelist, we believe in short, short powerful prayers. But sometimes you need to push in in prayer. Luckily, I married a prayer warrior. <laughs> so she does the long, powerful prayers. And I'm so glad about that. But um, <clears throat> then I want to talk a little bit about general faith. Because general faith is, is something different. General faith is normally the faith in God's nature. Not for a specific thing, but faith that, for instance, God is good. Okay? Um, despite what happens, you believe God is good. Despite things that happen around you, and, and I'm going to read um, Romans 8. I absolutely love Romans 8. That God's nature and character is described so much in Romans 8 that it's a chapter that you should say off by heart. There is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus and so on. The last two verses of Romans 8, verse 38 and 39, it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if we believe that, despite anything that happens, it's almost like the attacks come and like water from a duck's back, it just goes off. I want to give you an example of this week, last two weeks. You know, Dave came to, to us and we had breakfast with him and, and Dave said, well, there's a problem with my eyes and, you know, the pressure is double what it should be and, and things like that. And I could just see, this is a problem. This is really a problem and it's something you could get very, very anxious about. And, you know, what's going to happen and what if this and what if that? Talk about what ifs just now. But I could see Dave's general faith in God, Dave's faith in God's love. So what? You know, this is, this is real. We're going to do something to it. We're going to go to the doctors. We're going to go. But my faith in God is so strong that this is almost like water off a duck's back. Whatever happens, God is still good. <coughs> Whatever happens, next one there is all things work together for good. Whatever happens to my eyes, to Jill, to the family, God is still good. I'm unwavering in that faith. Nothing I'm g is, is, is going to set m my focus aside from God. 
all things work together for good. Again, Romans 8 verse 28. You know, another thing is our lives are in God's hands. Our lives are, you give your life over to God, then leave it there. Psalm 31. I think I've got it here. Um, Psalm 31 verse 14 says, but, but as for me, I trust in you, Lord. O Lord, I say, you are my God. Verse 15. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hand of the enemy and from those who persecute me. And so that is, that is things which, which is general faith. Now, when is the general faith tested? I oftentimes say your general faith is tested when things don't happen the way your logical solution says it should happen. In other words, if you were God, you would have done it differently. <laughs> okay, so something happens, there's a challenge, it gets... The solution comes in a different way than you thought it should. Or in a different way that you would do it if you were God. Okay. And you think, oof, I wonder whether God still loves us. I wonder whether God really loves us. I wonder whether everything really works together for good, for my good and for the good of, of, of the people we, we, who are around me. Okay. And that's when our faith is challenged. But if you, and the Bible says, if you go through that challenge and you come out the other side, you build strong muscle, strong faith muscle. And you get to a point where you don't doubt it at all anymore that God is good, that God loves you, that everything works together for good. Whether it's the solution you thought that should happen or not, doesn't really matter. And, and so one of our, one of our uh, Connect Group leaders is going through a challenge at the moment and, and um, he shared with us how God took him on a journey where he came from asking what if to saying even if. And that now links on, uh, Wayne, to what you said last week as well. Uh, to, to, to the sermon, an incredible sermon. If you haven't heard that, go and listen to that. But, but um, you know, we can stand here and say, I'm sick. What if I pass away? What, what about my family? What if things don't work? What if this business deal doesn't come through? Sure, what's going to happen to us? Now, the opposite of that is even if. Well, even if I don't get healed, God is in control. God loves me. Even if the business deal doesn't come through, God is still in control and everything will work for good. And when you change from that place of asking what if to saying even if, that's when you're in some of the position to Daniel and his friends. They said, look, God is in control. God has our lives in his hands. Even if we perish in this fire, not a problem. No problem. God is still in control. God is still. And so that's the trust me. God says, trust me. Trust me that I do have the best. Okay, so <clears throat> um, there are two things. Two examples out of Mark. I, I, I absolutely love Mark. <laughs> I think Mark is the 007 of the, of the disciples. <laughs> He's the James Bond of the disciples. Mark doesn't waste time. Mark was the first gospel written. He didn't want to waste time. He wanted to write the gospel. 
which was the shortest gospel, gospel written. He didn't mix a lot of words. Mark doesn't beat around the bush about basic doctrine. To him, he doesn't ask questions of our salvation. He just accepts that it is there. That's how it happens. That's it. No long stories about it. Baptism in the Spirit. No, ba no, no beating around the bushes. Baptism in the Spirit. Jesus will come. He'll baptize you in the Spirit. Carry on. Okay. He doesn't beat around the bush about basic doctrine. In fact, it's the gospel where the word immediately appears the most of all the gospels. And immediately this happened, and immediately that happened. And, and, and you know, he talks about John the Baptist, and he said, John the Baptist appeared. My word, how did John the Baptist appear? I mean, all these other gospels describe how <laughs> the pregnancy and the laying on of hands and the prayer and the name giving and all those kind of things. No, no, John the Baptist appeared. Boof. <laughs> there it is. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, and so, so Mark is, is a guy who, <laughs> he, he, he was often called an evangelist, Mark the evangelist. Um, didn't like many words. There was, uh, we heard a talk on da of Danny Silk a, a few years ago. Danny Silk was one of the Bethel guys. And he said, he was at a conference. He said, okay, you guys here at the conference, let's talk about the fivefold ministry and, and what you want. So the apostles of, amongst you here, you are checking that we're going in the right direction, getting all the people together, we're moving the church in the right direction, to, and, and so on and so on. That's, that's one of the things you do here. The prophets around you here, you are looking for what God is saying prophetically about the future of the church, and you know, maybe to individuals and things like that. The teachers and the pastors amongst you here, you are getting nuggets for your next sermon and your next teaching, and you know, that's what you're going to get from this conference. The evangelists amongst you here, you don't want to be here. <laughs> you want to be out in the streets. You don't want to sit and listen. And I can absolutely testify to that. I'm not a conference person. I'd much rather be out on the streets. But, I mean, I love, I love rubbing shoulders with, with other Christians and things like that. But, but the evangelists, they don't want to listen to a lot of words. They want to say a lot of words. All right? And that was the typical thing that Mark... Mark did and said, um, and Mark taught, taught, uh, talked a lot about building the kingdom of God, and that's why I think that links on a lot to what we're talking about this morning. Mark talked a lot about building the kingdom of God. How do we build the kingdom of God? Um, now, in, in two instances, there were people in the Gospels that doubted the general faith in God, God's attributes, God's nature. The one doubted God's ability, and the other one doubted God's willingness. All right, so in Mark 1, the, the person with leprosy comes to God, and he doubts God's willingness. He says, this is how Mark writes it, and you can go and read in the other Gospels, and I'll show you the difference. He says, a man with leprosy came to him in one, Mark 1 verse 40, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now listen what Mark writes. Mark says, Jesus was indignant. Now if you're a burki like me, you go on Google and you say, what does indignant mean? <laughs> and basically, a similar word, a, a, a synonym is annoyed. Jesus was annoyed. Mark is the only gospel that says that. The others don't mention it. Okay? And, and I think Mark described it from the point of view 
with a little bit of influence of his own personality to say, how the heck can you ask if God is willing? You know, I mean, that's impossible that God is not willing. And so I think Mark was probably more annoyed than Jesus. But anyway, whatever it may be, it says Jesus was a bit annoyed and he reached out his hand, touched the man and said, I'm willing, be healed. If today you're sitting here and you're doubting whether God is willing to, to get involved in your situation and give a solution, God is willing. He wants to allow him to get into your situation. Change that for the better. God is always willing. He's not standing on the side laughing at you. He's willing to get involved into your situation. And then in Mark 9, there was a, a, a person with a demon-possessed boy. And the disciples tried, and they tried to chase this thing out, and they got there, and they prayed, and then they, they started... Then the, the <laughs> Pharisees came and they said, no, you can't do that, and this and that, and the next thing. And Jesus came on the scene and says, what the heck's happening here? Um, and I'm going to read that from here somewhere. And that's from verse 14. I'm going to read quite a bit. I love scripture, by the way. Read a lot of scripture. Um, when they asked Smith Wigglesworth, what other books do you read? He said, nothing. I just read the Bible. That's all. I don't read anything else. <laughs> now, that's, that's quite, uh, if you look at his life, you can see that reflected in his life. So when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law was arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at the teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. Now you can see he says here, um, if you are willing. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been? And he said, since childhood, and has often thrown him uh, to the ground. And he said, but if you, if you can do anything, take pity us, on us and help us. And I think then Jesus was annoyed. <laughs> okay? He said, you've seen all these miracles. And you ask me if you can. In verse 23, he says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, if you can. He says, everything is possible for one who believes. Everything is possible. This is from Jesus. Now, this is not me. Okay. Everything is possible for one who believes. And there comes the faith. Now, is that faith in specific things or faith in general faith? I think it's both. All right. But it's very hard to have specific faith for a specific event if you doubt in general God's general nature, if you doubt God's love, if you doubt whether everything works together for good. Very hard to have faith for specific things. So everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And then Jesus heals the boy. All right. So Jesus has got the ability to get involved into your situation and solve it. And he's got the willingness. Don't doubt that. Build your faith, your general faith in God 
to a strong, strong point. Let's look at, quickly look at the third one. What time is it? Um, all right. Disciples are ready for revival. Pray. <coughs> for evangelists, that's always a difficult one. <laughs> but we do pray. Um, I always say, for me, for, for people, prayer differs. I walk down the passage to a meeting and I pray. And I'm really in, touch, in, in tune with God and I pray. Um, I also do have my quiet time where I, where I pray as well. There's specific things. But I think you should be in, contact, in constant contact with God. That's, that's also prayer. Lord, give me wisdom. What, what do we decide here? How do we manage this business situation? How do we manage this household situation? How do I manage this relationship which is becoming difficult? And, and that's constant prayer. But the Bible specifically instructs us to pray for our leaders. Now, our leaders, we prayed for them last week. They're still under huge attack. So please keep on praying for our leaders, and not only for, for our church leaders, for our congregation leaders, but for the leaders of our church, our movement, the church in general. I've got a big heart for the church, bigger church in South Africa and the world, not just every nation, Every nation and just generation and shofar and all the other churches which serve God. We are a family where the, we sometimes don't feel like it, but we are. I know there's churches who say, well, we don't work with other churches. And that to me, man, do you really understand kingdom if you say we're not going to work with other churches? That's, that's, that's not, God wants us as churches in George to work together to get this town saved. Okay, we're not going to do it on our own. In fact, the interesting thing is, you know, God talks about a body. And now I'm digressing a bit. But God talks about a body, that we are a body and we all are parts of the body. And so my body has fingers and it's got an elbow. Now I'm going to try and scratch my ear with my elbow. That's impossible. It's not made for that. Okay, but if I scratch my ear with my finger, that's made for that. All right. Now, who gets the glory? The finger. Thank you, finger, for scratching my ear. But could the finger do it without the elbow? Definitely not. If you're the elbow, don't try and be the finger. <laughs> you know, if God called you to be a teacher, then it doesn't mean that you can't prophesy, but don't try and be a prophet. You're not in the office of a prophet. You're in the office of a teacher. And the prophet might get the glory because the prophet stands and gives the prophecies and all those kind of things in front of a crowd where the teacher don't. But the prophet can't do it without the teacher because you've got to teach him how to prophesy and how not to prophesy. So the, the finger cannot operate without the elbow. The elbow doesn't get the glory. As a church, as a congregation, God has called us to a role in George. We shouldn't try and fulfill the roles of the others. We should be glad that they have success. Can I say that again? That's very important. We should be glad if other churches have success. <laughs> if the elbow functions properly, the finger can function properly. If Shofar has a huge success under the youth, just as an example in George, man, we should rejoice with them. They are preparing the ground for us to work as well. If they fail, in a sense, we fail. And so we should be working together, rejoice with other churches about successes that they have, that we have, and work together 
in a church. You know, the, 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 the biblical model of leadership is not the worldly model of leadership. Okay, so let me see if I can show you a thing that my father-in-law showed me about the worldly model of leadership. And we're going to elections. Please pray for the elections next year so much. It's so, so important. So this is the worldly model. All right, so that's <laughs> no, mine. <laughs> Some of you might, might have seen this, but yeah, this is the typical <laughs> Now, the biblical model of leadership is not who's on the top, okay? It's functions, you know? This church cannot function effectively with just good pastors. We need teachers. We need prophets. And, by the way, the pastor or the pastors and the elders cannot fulfill all the roles. They are there to teach us so that we can fulfill our roles. All right? So, evangelists, those evangelists who are here, I'm going to mobilize you at some stage. Get ready. All right. God has given me some plans to, to put into place. Not just walking in the streets and evangelizing, but there are some other ways in which evangelists can be used. But, but the prophets, please stand up. Go to the connect groups and, and practice your trade there. And, and you know, Ask God to give you words. Um, I, I, I remember being in a, in a meeting where there was about 18 people. And I actually went just to support the leadership there. And then God gave me a word for each of the 18 people in that, in that meeting. And I didn't give it publicly. I gave it to them individually. By the way, uh, uh, the functioning of an office is not about getting glory or, or, or getting the attention. It's about the function. If you've got a word for people, sometimes you say it in front of church, sometimes you don't. Oftentimes you don't act, actually say it. You go privately to that person. And, and it's not about you. It's about God. It's about what God wants to do in their lives. Or praying for people for healing. Um, it might be that the testimony is given in church. might be that it's never mentioned. I mean, we've had, we've had many, many outreaches in Africa where things happen afterwards, after we've been there, and we only hear about it afterwards. We get no glory for it, and that's fantastic. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. God gets the glory. All right. So, so that's a um, little bit about that. Disciples ready for revival. Pray. Um, talked about that we talked about that so my last point disciples ready for revival believe in and want to see the supernatural of God and they're willing to offer, offer up their own comfort and dignity to see God working miracles now <clears throat> it's not always comfortable God is not there for our comfort and, and, and so the question is, are you willing to offer up your comfort to get revival going in George? Are you willing to step out where it is uncomfortable? To be willing to put yourself on the line of being a fool? To put your faith there where other people say it's impossible? So... As a last story, my, I come from a family of doctors. My mum was one of the first lady doctors in South Africa. She took his University of Pretoria, took in the first 
uh, ladies to study medicine. And she was one of the first. My sister, my brother-in-law, my brother, my... You carry on. All right? So, due to that, we have quite a few friends, doctors. <clears throat> so, the gynecologist with our first child was a friend of mine. All right? So, we get to the gynecologist. We say, look, we want to get pregnant, and so on, and so on. And he says, he does some t a tests on Krista, and he says, she hasn't had measles. Is it measles, eh? Or chicken pox? I think it's measles. She hasn't had measles, so what we're going to do is we're going to induce measles in a safe way so that she gets measles. Don't get pregnant in the first two weeks. Man, I barely hung up my underwear and she was pregnant. <laughs> and so now we go to this gynecologist friend of mine and he says, no doubt medically you should abort. You should abort. There's no chance that this child would be normal. He said, look, you know us. We're Christians. We're not going to do this. We're going to stand in faith. And so he does a lot of research because he's very nervous because he's a friend of mine and, and this and that and the next thing. And, and, you know, most of the doctors say, no, 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 there's no way you've got to abort. I mean, we induced measles and now you're pregnant. <clears throat> so in the end, we didn't abort. Our eldest is now doing his final year in accounting at the University of Stellenbosch. He is a... Well, I don't know if, if there is something like a completely normal child, but uh, <laughs> he's as normal as you can probably get. I mean, he's very sporty. He played uh, Gauteng table tennis. He played uh, uh, regional cricket, things like that. Uh, and he's, he's quite a normal guy. We're so proud of him. Some of you have met him. Such a lovely boy. Um, and... I mean, the medical advice was to abort. There's, there's no way. And we said, well, we trust in God. I can tell you story upon story upon story. I broke my wrist a few years ago. And my mom took me to the best specialist she knew because she's in the medical fraternity. Guy operated on me, put pins in it, looked like scrambled eggs, maybe similar or worse than what Yapi had. And, uh, and the medical doctor said, you'll never bend your wrist like this again, never, ever. And I said, well, that's what you say, but, you know, uh, I know the medical word, so I'm not going to go against you. I'm just saying I'm a child of God, and I believe I will. And within a year, this is what happens. I can use it 100% fully functional. Some of you might know, some of you might not know that I had a stroke a few years ago. Okay? There's been a few attempts on my life, by the way. Um, the devil has had to have, want his way, and he's hadn't had that. I had a stroke, and... Um, I was in hospital, and the people said, well, I shouldn't be able to speak. <laughs> then we, that was in November where I had the stroke. In December, we go to Plettenberg Bay. I, my wife goes to shop at Woolies, and she meets my brother-in-law's brother, who's also a specialist in Krugersdorf. He says, where's Brom? She says, he's jogging next to the sea. It's absolutely impossible. He shouldn't be able to walk. Now, the, my sister, who's also a doctor, read the medical report, so I don't understand all this. Because I've got so many doctors in my family, I've got a block against medicine. I know what a discipline is for, and that's it. <laughs> that, I've got no other idea about medicine and all those kind of things. I don't know the terms. Uh, my father and I, my father was an economist, 
Sunday afternoon, if you have doctors in your family, you know what happens on a Sunday afternoon lunch. They talk about medical and this case and that and the next thing. Okay, so we shut off, my father and I. Anyway, so my sister read the report that the doctor wrote about my strokes and she started crying and I thought, what's this? She said, well, you should be a vegetable. You should be an absolute vegetable. Here I am walking, I'm, I'm as normal as a person probably could be. Again, I don't think there is something like a normal person, but, but that, and, and that's God's miracle working power. I can testify about in my own life how God healed me many, many times. Me, personally. So I, it's not just for other people, it's for you, it's for me. God wants you to be touched. And so this morning to close off, I want to come back to the question, are we ready for revival? Because God is ready for revival in George. Let's rend our hearts, let's return to the Lord. And let's get ready for revival because this is exciting. We're going to see George turned around. And we're going to, you remember that video that Dave shared, those of you who were here. I see that and more. And going out to the to the rest of the nation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that this morning we could listen to your heart. And we ask you to help us turn our hearts towards you so that we can get your heart for the people around us, our neighbors, for George, for South Africa, and for the world, and to the ends of the earth. And believe, we believe that we're going to see revival in our time. It's for us, Lord. I believe that. And this morning we stand and we say, we surrender to you. Help us in our unbelief. Help us where there's blockages in our lives to get back to you. Help us to remove that and to get back to you. And we pray that and we thank you for a lovely day in Jesus' name. Maybe your other evangelist would like to join. Come on, come, come on. Come, come, let's lay hands. Lord, we thank you that we have a heart for people which you have given to us. And so we lift up each and every one in this bowl. And we speak over them and we say, you will open your heart and see what Jesus has done for you. And we pray for them to get born again, to get healed, to return back to you for those who have walked off, who has once in their lives known you and, and walked off. And we say, return to God, return to your maker. We stand in faith for that and we see in the spiritual realm, we see this bowl emptying into that bowl. We see that emptying into that bowl. And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. If you need prayer for healing.